think that uh, Peter is uh, kind of a favorite biblical character for many people in the Christian community because Peter's so easy to identify with. Uh, he's so much uh, like so many of us. Uh, but in Second Peter, um, Peter is pretty much at the end of his life. And in Second Peter chapter 1, as was uh, read for us this morning, uh, verse 14, he says this, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Christ made clear to me, and I'm going to make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And Peter has uh, four major things, if you will, that uh, he talks about in this particular letter that he's hoping uh, the people that he loves, that he's leaving behind, will never forget. And he's writing this down so that people will always have an opportunity to read this and to remember and to think and to kind of ponder and meditate on some of these things. And so last week, uh, we saw in the first part of the first chapter, uh, Peter says, listen, you want to be sure of these four things, the first one is you want to be sure of your salvation. You, you, you were intended by God to live with the assurance of your status with God. And Peter wants to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, that people, you know, aren't wondering, well, I hope I'm saved, or, you know, I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade so many years ago, and so I think I'm saved, and like that. No, Peter's like, you need to live with the assurance. And so Peter, in this first couple of uh, verses, explains, <clears throat> and he says, you know, uh, when these seven other traits are being added to your life and increasing, you can have confidence that the very Spirit of God is living inside of you and that you are one of God's children, <clears throat> a part of his um, forever community. For example, in verse 10, he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, like work at this. In verse 5, he says, you know, for this very reason, make every effort. Um, basically, um, Christianity, you know, is a relationship with God. God has called us into a relationship with himself. And like in any relationship, God has his part and we have our part. Like in any relationship. And God always goes first, God initiates, God created us, and God speaks first, and God put his son on the cross and, and uh, you know, made a way for us to be reconciled with him and so on. But we always have the opportunity to respond. And what Peter is saying, when you find in your life that you're responding to God's initiatives, uh, especially as we'll see this morning to God's word, uh, that we can live with assurance as these seven qualities are being added to our life. I think it was D.L. Moody uh, one time who said, pray as if everything depends on God, because it does. And then work as if everything depends upon you, because it does. Because Christianity is a relationship, right? Paul says the same thing in Philippians, that God is at work in us. You know, uh, make every effort, be diligent uh, to do our part in this relationship. And so this morning we come to kind of the second crucial issue that Peter is very concerned that we need to be absolutely sure of our foundation. Be sure of our salvation. And second, this morning, be sure of our foundation or God's word, uh, the scriptures. I think uh, most of us are probably old enough um, to remember one of the world's most 
renowned and known logos. It was a picture of a dog sitting in front of the sound horn of an old RCA uh, Victrola or phonograph. You might remember, this is what it looked like, okay? And uh, do you remember this? How many of you are old enough to remember this being, you know, okay, at least you're willing to admit it. Um, Notice this dog. He's inches away from the megaphone. His head is cocked to one side uh, as as if he's listening intently to a recording. The truth be known, um, an Englishman named Mark owned a terrier mixed dog named Nipper. And uh, when Mark died in 1887, his brother Francis, who was an artist, inherited Nipper and also inherited Mark's cylinder phonograph machine, along with a number of cylinders uh, that had recordings on them. That's how they were in the 1800s. And tradition has it that on one of those recordings was the voice of Mark, Nipper's original owner. And apparently after Mark's death, Nipper would sit in front of that horn and listen for the voice of his master. You can imagine this, right? And so Francis decided to paint a picture of Nipper sitting in front of that Uh, machine listening for the voice of his master and eventually uh, the phonograph evolved and uh, Francis had to paint in different phonographs but eventually RCA uh, bought the picture and um, it became this to uh, announce their uh, products and Francis when he painted this picture entitled it his master's voice his master's voice. And that picture, I think, captures for us what Peter wants to make sure that we never forget, our master's voice, which speaks to us primarily through God's word, the Bible. Primarily through God's word, the Bible. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the Bible is like, unlike any other book in the world. In that, the Bible is living, and it's active, and the very voice of God comes through this book into our hearts uh, via the Spirit of God who wrote it and who lives in every true believer. Uh, The author of Hebrews put it like this. I'm sure you're familiar with this in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living. It's alive. And um, when we sit like Nipper in front of the word of God and listen for the voice of our master, Our God speaks through this book, and that's what makes it different than any other uh, book in the world. And so Peter, in our text this morning, says this, Uh, starting in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice uh, was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, Um, If you go back to the original of that in Matthew chapter 17, uh, you'll see that uh, Peter sort of leaves this out, but it was while Peter was talking that the Lord kind of overrode him, broke into him, basically saying, you just be quiet and listen. And uh, at the end of that phrase, uh, the, the voice from heaven said, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Stop talking, Peter. And listen, you know. Uh, Peter conveniently just kind of leaves that part out. But that's what happened. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice uh, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So what Peter, you know, is really uh, telling us here is that when he talks about the Lord, either his first coming or his second coming, uh, but he's talking particularly about the second coming, And that becomes an issue, uh, as we'll see, uh, as this letter unfolds. But um, Peter is basically saying, look, you know, when I talk about the power and I talk about the return of Jesus, I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm not just, you know, I didn't pick this up off the internet someplace. I'm not just reading somebody's blog and coming up with this idea. I didn't read a book someplace and uh, get this idea. He's saying, I was an eyewitness of the first coming of the Lord, and uh, I'm going to be, I am an eyewitness of the Lord's um, transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus was glorified, and is how he will be when we see him uh, when he returns. Let me tell you, Peter is saying, you know, I'm not following some cleverly devised Myth. This isn't something my grandmother told me, you know, and I'm passing on to you. I was an eyewitness. I saw his miracles. I heard his teaching. I spoke with him eye to eye. And uh, I would suggest to you that uh, John uses the exact same argument in 1 John, the first couple of verses. Uh, John says this, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, Uh, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the word of life, the eternal word. Uh, That life was made manifest and we have seen it and uh, we testify to it and proclaim to you this eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. It's this argument that I was an eyewitness to these things. I'm not just telling you something that I'm just passing along from some tradition or something. I was there. And then specifically, Peter is talking about being there when Jesus was uh, transfigured. In Matthew chapter 17, if you're following along in your Bibles, um, we have the account of this. And um, again, I was an eyewitness of his majesty, he's saying. I saw him in his glorified state. In Matthew chapter 17, let me just refresh your memory with a read a couple of these verses. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and uh, his brother and led them up to a high mountain uh, by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. 
I mean, this was quite the experience that uh, Peter had. I was there, Peter says. I'm an eyewitness to this thing. Uh, Moses and Elijah, who were dead long time ago, were there alive. And they're talking to Jesus. And I heard it, you know. And I saw these guys very much alive. Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. And Jesus, his face just shone like the sun and his clothes just turned a brilliant white and he was transfigured into his previous state before he emptied himself and humbled himself and became one of us. And when we read like in Revelation 19 what it's going to be like when Jesus actually does come back, he's coming back in glory. The first time he came, he came in humility. He went to the cross. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. But when he returns, he's coming in glory. And uh, Peter saw what that looks like, and he's saying, you know, I was an eyewitness. I'm not just passing this stuff along to you. Um, And uh, Peter says, you know, uh, to the Lord, hey, Lord, it's really good to be here if you want. You know, I'll make three tents, and one for you, and one for Moses and Elijah, and we'll just stay here. And he was still speaking when, behold, uh, a bright cloud Uh, overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased listen to him Peter stop talking and listen sit down like nipper at the megaphone and listen for the voice of your master right and uh, when his disciples heard this they fell on their faces and they were terrified but Jesus came and he touched them and And uh, said, you know, basically, fear not. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. And so Peter is like, you know, I was there. Uh, His face just became bright, his clothes white, and I heard with my own ears the voice of God the Father coming down from heaven, uh, telling me that this was his beloved son. What I'm telling you is not secondhand. I was there. I heard the voice affirm the deity of Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, what's more compelling than an eyewitness? What is more compelling than an eyewitness? Because then Peter says, I think, an absolutely astonishing thing. What's more compelling than an eyewitness? Verse 19, Peter says this, and we have something more sure than an eyewitness. We have something in the word of God, we have something in our hands this morning, in our Bibles at home, that is more sure than an eyewitness. Now think about that. Think about the court system and you know what an eyewitness can do and, and how they can seal the case. We have something more sure. What is it? What's more sure than an eyewitness? The prophetic word of God. The scriptures, the prophetic word of God, to which you will do well to pay attention, like Nepper, right? To which you will do well to pay attention. But just think with me for a second. You know, what's more uh, sure than an eyewitness? And what the Bible is telling us, what Peter is telling us, it's the prophetic word of God, the Bible. And uh, I would suggest to you that specifically or technically what Peter would be talking about here would be the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read. The Old Testament is the Bible that Peter would have read. The prophetic uh, 
Old Testament, which looked forward to the coming of Jesus and uh, to the gospel and to the uh, reconciliation of the world. Uh, The whole Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, who is, of course, uh, Jesus. And then after Jesus comes, um, adding to that prophetic word is the New Testament and all that Jesus told us about his second coming and uh, what the apostles teach us and, and so on. But take note of what Peter is saying here. If I understand it correctly, what Peter is saying is that Scripture outranks experience. Scripture outranks even our own personal experience. A more sure prophetic word from God comes to us in God's word in the Bible. Scripture outranks experience. Uh, we have something even more sure than our personal experience. And if you think about it, Scripture is way more complete than our experience. Right? We have a little experience. Scripture's talking over thousands of years. It's way more complete than anybody's, uh, even the, the experience of our lifetime. Uh, scripture is um, way more permanent than our experience. Our experience happens and comes and goes and so on and so forth. Uh, But scripture is permanent. It's been around for a long time and it will be in the future. And scripture is certainly more authoritative than our own personal experience. So often we want to build what we believe on the basis of our experiences. And what Peter is saying is, look, I've had these really fantastic experiences. I got to you know, be face-to-face with Jesus during his lifetime. I was there when he was transfigured. But we have something more sure than people's personal experiences. And I think this is uh, significant. Um, way back in Isaiah, uh, and, and in many places, but I always like to go to this one, um, God says, listen, you can know that the Bible is from me. And uh, here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 42. He says, I am the Lord, this is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. What I told you was going to happen has happened, right? The former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in your future. New things I now declare... Um, he says, uh, before they spring forth, I tell you about them. One of the ways you can know that God wrote the Bible is that it's full of prophetic truth, a truth that hasn't unfolded yet in history, uh, but a lot of truth from our perspective living now, we can look back on and say, wow, God wrote that down hundreds of years before it happened, but it happened exactly as he said. Just think about Christmas. The first coming of Jesus. Think about all the details that God put in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus. You know? And when, it, when, when the Lord came, all of those details were fulfilled. The place where he was going to be born, you know? And uh, all of those details got to be history. They were prophecy, but they became history. And uh, when we think about the second coming of Christ and the promise of Christ's return and what he's going to do in the world and how he's going to change our lives and so forth, we can have confidence in what he's revealed because he's a God who keeps his promises. 
Remember Peter said at the very beginning here that the great and precious promises that God has made to his uh, people uh, becomes a, a part of our security. And so we have something more sure, the prophetic word of God. Scripture is reliable more so even than our own experiences. And so Peter then admonishes the people in the second half of verse 19. He says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the darkness. Now, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but I would say the day in which we're living, uh, the world in which we live is getting a little darker each day. And in the midst of the darkness, Peter is saying, you would do well to be like Nipper and sit in front of the word of God and allow the word of God uh, to be, you know, uh, as the psalmist said it in the 119th Psalm, Uh, The word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the light in the darkness. It's the truth amongst all the falsehood. Pay attention to God's word. Listen for the master's voice. Study the scriptures. Believe the scriptures. Obey the scriptures. Share the scriptures, Peter says. And then he says, until the day dawns. Until what day dawns? Well, until Christ comes back. Until Christ returns. Pay attention to the scriptures until the return of Christ, at which time the morning star will rise in our hearts. You know, when Christ comes back, the Bible tells us the whole world is going to be radically changed. But so are we as believers going to be changed. Um, and, and we will see him as he is, the Bible says, and it will radically change us. Uh, we will be transformed even as um, he is. In First uh, John And the third chapter, you might remember uh, these verses, but the first uh, couple of verses talks about how much God loves us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it doesn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we are going to be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everybody who has that hope in themselves, looking forward to that day, purifies themselves over the course of their life in preparation because we know what's coming. We know that's in our future. It's called in the Bible the blessed hope, right? And then uh, Peter says this in uh, verse 20. Know this first of all. Hey, top priority. Know this first of all. Above everything else, priority number one. Know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from somebody's own interpretation. The Scriptures don't come from people's ideas about God. The Scriptures come from God revealing himself. And that's important to understand. Uh, The Scriptures are not the result of some people's thinking. The Scriptures are the result of God revealing himself. Right through the scriptures. Know this first of all. No prophecy of scripture comes from somebody's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy, no part of scripture. Scripture is the word 
of God, not the word of people. God used people, yes, to write the, the scriptures and so forth, but scripture is God's voice revealing himself and revealing our reality uh, to his writers, uh, which in turn, by God's spirit, wrote down what God wanted them to write down. People were moved by God, by God's spirit, uh, to express uh, their reality. In First Peter, um, and in the very first chapter, I think Peter is kind of saying the same thing here. In verse 10, he says, uh, concerning our salvation, uh, the prophets who prophesied, think Old Testament, uh, about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating uh, that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In other words, when those prophets were writing things down, they didn't understand what they were writing, but God was saying, this is what you need to write down. Write what I tell you. And they wrote it down, and now from our perspective, we look back and we say, wow, it was exactly what happened. And the authors themselves, the writers themselves, uh, didn't even understand what they were writing when they wrote it. And so uh, I think the Apostle Paul uh, says the exact same thing in um, 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and uh, verse 14, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The scriptures breathed out by God, inspired by God. Uh, inspiration means God breathed, right? Uh, God used people, uh, but it's he that gave the content uh, that we have in the Bible. If you think about it, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, uh, in Exodus 33 says that God spoke to Moses face to face. Face to face. Now I got to imagine that as God was speaking to Moses, like friend to friend, the Bible actually says, that God was revealing to Moses how the whole, where did we get Genesis from? Now remember, Moses was Jewish, but he was raised by the Egyptians with the Egyptian schools and being, you know, very educated, uh, the best that was available at that time and so forth. That's how he grew up. And uh, God spoke to him and Moses wrote it down and you have it in your hands. From God to Moses to us, right? And uh, not only that, but uh, a little bit later on in Deuteronomy, Moses told the people that he was talking to that the Lord is going to raise up, the Lord God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses. And uh, God said, I will put my words in his mouth. He's talking about Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I don't speak a thing that the Father doesn't tell me to say. And so, um, you know, God has many different ways uh, that he communicated uh, his truth uh, to us. The Lord, uh, you know, sometimes would speak in a dream, like to Joseph in Genesis 37. Sometimes uh, the Lord would communicate in visions, like Daniel and Isaiah and John and Revelation. Uh, sometimes angels, like what happened with Lot. Uh, but most often, uh, that inner voice of the Holy Spirit uh, 
um, spoke to people and they were moved to write over 3,000 times you can find in the Bible according to the word of the Lord, that little phrase, according to the word of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, I wrote down X, according to the word of the Lord, over 3,000 uh, times in the scriptures. Um, Hebrews, uh, again, I think, uh, Hebrews in the very first part of this talks to this issue long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days, the many ways and many different people and so forth all through history. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by his word. In these last days, God has spoken to us uh, by his son. So just a couple of uh, interesting, I think, facts. Um, The Bible was composed over 40 different generations over 1,500 years. The Bible that you have in your hands over 1,500 years by more than 40 different writers Now, if you were God and you were going to communicate, wouldn't you just find like one really faithful person, lay the whole thing out and be done? I mean, you know what it's like to have a committee of 40 people? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right? And uh, these uh, writers were from every walk of life. You have shepherds like David. You have scholars like the Apostle Paul. You had prophet like Isaiah. You had a physician like Luke. You have a fisherman like Peter. And you have a statesman like Solomon. But there was only one author. A lot of writers, but only one author. God himself, by his spirit, breathed out his truth. The Bible was written in three different languages on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And the Bible addresses all kinds of controversial issues, yet there's harmony and continuity from Genesis to Revelation. How can that be? It can be because it's the word of God. Because there is only one author. The Bible is the word of God. There is one overarching theme in the Bible, which is redemption or reconciliation. It starts with how we got separated from God, and it moves to the gospel about how God made a way for us to get back together with him because he wants us to be with him for all of eternity. And he makes that promise to anybody who will take him up on the offer of the gospel. Last I heard, uh, the Bible, or at least portions of the Bible, are translated into 2,650 different languages, the most translated book in existence. Um, It wasn't translated into English until the 1300s by John Wycliffe, uh, who died in uh, 1384. So God put his universal truth, the very thoughts of God, into written form, breathing into the writers of Scripture, and then he puts his spirit in us that enables us to receive his word from him. And again, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can read it there. Uh, The Bible is a living book uh, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, And one last passage of scripture I would say to you or share with you or leave with you is this thought, 
uh, from Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 from the lips of Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live just by bread alone. We are more than just physical beings, but our spirit and our soul live by the very word that comes from God. The Bible is a living book, imparts life to us, life that's eternal. We need to sit like Nipper in front of the Bible and allow it to speak to us. Allow the master to speak into our hearts. Let's pray together. Father God, we just pause here this morning for a minute to say thank you for the word that you've sent. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, being specific, for putting your word in writing uh, so that we can know the things that you want us to know. And thank you especially for the prophetic portions of Scripture that allow us to have confidence that you're the author. You're the one who wrote these things. No one could know all that's going to happen in the future but God. And help us, Heavenly Father, to listen to the voice uh, that speaks to us through your word in order that you might have your way with us and grow us to be mature for Jesus' sake.